God is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples who will reflect His glory in all spheres of life. The Bible describes and confirms this mission from beginning to end. Woven into the creation of Adam and Eve, the mission extended to all nations through God's promise to Abraham. Jesus took up this same mission and taught it to His disciples. Today, those who follow Christ take on His mission. We were designed to reflect His glory in every sphere of life, not only in this present life, but in the life which is to come throughout the heavens and the earth. Until then, will you give your life to God? Will you join His mission? Well, good morning, Northland. It is good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Genesis 11. You can turn them on. Genesis 11, Genesis 12. We are in our series, Made for Mission. I had so much fun last week in starting last weekend's message with a game where we talked about guess the company or we played guess the company. And so we you know, put up some mission statements and then you had to guess the company. So what we're going to play this morning is guess the artist or the band. All right. Guess the artist or the band. I got artists and bands from the 60s all the way to the, you know, uh, now. <laughs> so here we go. Are you, you ready? So here I'm going to put the lyrics on, on the screen behind me and then you've got to guess the band or the artist. All right. You, you, you got the rules. Here we go. Let's have fun. All right, first set of lyrics. We all want to change the world. You tell me that it's evolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. Beatles, you are correct. If you came here Friday night, you probably heard the song Revolution by the Beatles. Can anybody tell me what year they sang that song? 68, according to the web. But you can't trust everything that you see on the web, but 68. All right, here, here's the next one. All right, so you, you, you're, you're passing now. Doing much better than last week. Here we go. His hair is long. His feet are hard and gritty. He spends the life walking the streets of New York City. He's almost dead from breathing in air pollution. He tried and fought, but to him, there's no solution. Living just enough, just enough for the city. Stevie Wonder. Ding, 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 ding. All right, anybody, what year? 73, 73, Living for the City by Stevie Wonder. All right, next song, next song. Man, you guys are doing great. This is awesome. Uh, so, as I turn up the collar on my favorite winter coat, this wind is blowing my mind. I see the kids in the street with not enough to eat. Who am I to be blind pretending not to see their needs? Michael Jackson. And what song was it? Man in the Mirror. What year? 88. So you, you, you see the theme now. We got the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. I skipped the 90s. <laughs> I could not find a clean version of any song. <laughs> I don't know what that tells us about the 90s. Um, you know, I thought about Tupac, but I'm like, I cannot, I cannot say anything about Tupac for anyway. So uh, I, got, I, got, I got two more songs. All right, here we go. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. John Mayer song, waiting on the world to change, year? 2006. All right. Now, so I finally have some young people in the audience. All right. The last song, last song is this. The question is why... 
why are we here? To say our hellos and goodbyes and then disappear? This beautiful life, what is it for? To learn how to master peace or to master war? All right, we'll give you a second set of lyrics for this song. There's only one answer that matters, even if your heart has been shattered. Whatever you want, whatever you are after. Yes, finally somebody got it. Yes, Jason Mraz. And the song is uh, Love is Still the Answer, and that was in 2018. So, Josh, why did we play this game? Well, because there's a theme to all of these songs. All of these artists, all of these bands have something in common with their songs from the 60s all the way through 2018. They think something is wrong with the world. They think something's wrong with the world. So think about it. These are cultural theologians. They're they're writing songs. They're singing songs that declare that they believe something is wrong with the world. Now, what's so interesting about this is that if you rewind a few hundred years ago, you had these smart people in the West that came together and said, you know what, there are a lot of problems in the world, but, but humans, we, we are ingenious, we are creative, we have this intellect, we should be able to solve the societal ills, we should be able to solve the problems in the world, and so we should have enough power and intellect to create a utopia, which is why we had the era called the enlightenment that came on the scene. You had these leaders that believed that they could create a utopia, that they could right all of the wrongs, that they could solve all of the problems. But if you rewind just a few decades ago in the 50s and 60s, you had this other way of thinking called post-modernity that came on the scene and said, hey, these, these enlightenment thinkers who ushered in you know, modernity and modernism, hey, listen, uh, while they helped to increase the, the quality of life and maybe even the longevity of life, we still have problems in the world. So in some sense, what they were touting, what, what they believed, listen, that we need to reject them and we need to embrace postmodernism, which rejected all grand narrative, rejected absolute truth. They became skeptical of institutions and those who run them. Well, now we are in 2022, so are we in the modern era? Are we in the postmodern era? And I would say no, but the new era that we are in has bits and pieces of both, and no one that I have read knows what to call this new era. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to name it, at least right now. And so I'll call the era that we are in, the 21st century, in the year of 2022, it's the rise of the new social order or order and the metaverse reality. So the rise of the new social order and the metaverse reality, which borrows from both modernity and post-modernity. And why? Because you'll hear things like, there's no truth, you just do you. That's rooted in postmodernism. But then you will hear some tech moguls talk about how they want to create a a better place in the world. They want to make the world a better place to live. That's rooted in modernity. But yet, the underlying principles and foundations of this new social order and metaverse reality is founded upon the ideals of kids and adolescents. Now you say, well, what do you mean by founded upon the ideals of kids and adolescents? Here's the thing, children are self-centered. 
You don't have to teach a kid not to share. That kid comes out of the womb saying, mine, 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 just like those seagulls in Finding Nemo, mine. And then children have issues when it comes to learning how to play well with one another, especially if the others aren't playing right according to their rules. You ever had a kid come to your kid? They're playing with other kids and then the other kids want to try a different, you know, different game or they have different rules in which they use to play that game. And then they run, mom and dad, they're not playing right. You ever heard that by your kids? Yeah. Children want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. Is that not right? And they do not, they despise the word no. Don't you dare tell a kid no. They'll throw a temper tantrum. And then, think about this. Children are typically inclusive until a kid comes to the group that doesn't look like them, talk like them, dress like them, and acts like them. And then they become exclusive. See, that's what's happening in our culture. Oh, they're so inclusive until you show up to their party and you don't talk like them, dress like them, believe like them, act like them. Then they cancel you. That's what kids do. And then, and then children like to fantasize and dream about being whoever they want to be. And see, we're living in a culture right now, they just say, be whoever you want to be. You, you want to be a boy today? Be a boy. You don't know what you want to be? You, you know, proclaim this pronoun. Proclaim that pronoun. Whatever you want to be, you just be it. Hey, whatever your sexuality, uh, you, you know, you can be L, you can be G, you can be G, T, Q, plus, you can, you can be whatever you want to be. That is our culture. Now, now why do I say that? Because last week we saw at the beginning of Genesis... In chapter 3, that Adam and Eve sinned and shattered the image of God on our life. Therefore, our world is broken because we are broken. So even the rise of this new social order and this metaverse reality, listen, it will lead to still problems in the world. We are broken people living in a broken world. And what we will see this morning is where our brokenness has come from and what God is going to do about it. Listen, you cannot solve a negative with a negative. You cannot solve a problem with its problem. Listen, human beings, because we are flawed and broken, we cannot bring about a utopia, regardless of how smart we are. And what we will see this morning is this main point. So if you're ready, tell your neighbor that you're, you're ready. Tell your neighbor that you're ready here. Shattered people build broken civilizations and experience fragmented results. God redeems a shattered people to build a God-glorifying civilization that brings blessing to all people. So on one hand, shattered people build shattered civilization and they experience fragmented results. But on the other hand, you have God. He's going to redeem a shattered people and he's going to build a God-glorifying civilization that actually brings blessings to all people. So here's the summary. Is we're going to look at the when, what, how, and why 
of God's mission this morning. So with that said, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? We'll look in Genesis 11 and 12, and you got to get this. Like this, I mean, this series builds on one another. So, but with this, to understand what's going on in our world, to understand what God's doing in the world, you need to listen intently. And here we go. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a what? What do they want to build? A city with a tower that that reaches to the heavens. And now why did they want to build a city and a tower? So that we may make a name for whom? Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down. So that once again, there is a reference to the Trinity. And confuse their language so that they won't even understand one another. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them from all, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Now let's fast forward to chapter 12. So it's in this context, chapter 12 comes on the scene. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group will be blessed through you. Let's pray. Father, will you be glorified? Jesus, we pray that you would be the center of our lives, of even the preaching of your word, because everything revolves around you, your kingship, and what you are building. Spirit, I pray that you would use our time in the preaching of the word to form us, mold us, shape us more into your image. I pray for those who are far from you this morning, sitting in this room, engaging with us online. Spirit, will you use the preaching of the word to draw them to your beauty, your splendor, your majesty, your glory, that you would use the preaching of the good news in the midst of a bad news world to draw them to what you're building. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right. So we're going to answer four questions this morning. Question number one, when does God redeem a people for his mission? When does God redeem a people for his mission? Well, here's the context in Genesis 11. So you have the whole world had one language and a common speech. And here's what happened. They moved eastward and they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Now, here's what's fascinating about this direction. They are moving eastward. Now, you have to go back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. God kicked them out towards the east. 
And now what you have is that now humanity is moving further and further eastward, which is a reference to they are moving further and further away from God. I had somebody come up to me after the nine o'clock gathering. They said, now, is there, you know, it's like, is there anything wrong with moving eastward today? And I'm like, no, that, that is not what I'm talking about. So geographically, uh, it's okay that you live in the east, all right? Uh, so if not, we'd all be living in California. You don't want that. Anyway, I, did I say that? I, did, I didn't say that. I did. I did. <laughs> I'm just playing. Lighten up, lighten up. All right. But, but what, is, what is clear here is that the, the Bible wants, wants us to know that humanity is moving further and further away from God. Well, h- how is that? Well, so as they move eastward, they, they get to a plain and they settle there. And here, here's, here's the conversation that happens. They said to each other, come, let us make some bricks and we'll bake them thoroughly. You say you did that in a southern accent. I just look at Fred and Jake, man. They're there they're, they're going, man, let's, 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 let's build us a city. This would be great. You know, that, that's just what, in my mind, that's my sanctified imagination at work. And what's happening is that they are cultivating. Now, you got to go back to last week, and we looked at three functions of human beings. They relate, they create and they operate. Well, here's what they're doing. They're relating one to one another. They said to each other, so there's this relationship, there's this communication. Then they're like, hey, let's cultivate, let's create something. And hey, let's, let's create a city. I wanted to go ahead and define culture for us. I didn't define it last week on pers- purpose because I want to define it this morning. Here's what culture is. Culture is what we make of the world, both in creating cultural artifacts as well as in making sense of the world around us. In other words, culture is customs and beliefs and ideas and values and artifacts. It's what we cultivate from the raw materials of the thought and language spoken and written on the earth. And so what you have here is that you have humanity coming together in this one place, not only relating to one another, but they are cultivating the raw materials. As they cultivate the raw materials, it leads to culture and that culture leads to civilization. So that's what we have. We, we have mention of really the first urban development here in the scripture. But what's their spiritual climate? Well, they, they want to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. But why do they want to build the tower? So that they will make a name for themselves. That, that's their spiritual climate. They live, yes, they wanna, they wanna build something to the heavens. They, they wanna touch deity. They wanna touch God, but they wanna do so for their own glory, for their own name sake. That is the center of their city. God is not the center of their city. They are. And so as they, as they want to build this city for their namesake, look at, look at what we see at the very end of verse four. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, this is fascinating because if you go back to Genesis one, verse 28, God blessed them and said, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But here we got humanity. They're coming together in this one city and they don't want to leave the city. They don't want to be scattered. They're afraid of what God has told human beings to do. They don't want to fill. They don't want to scatter. They want to stop and do for their own glory. 
So how does God respond to this people, to the building of their city? Well, look in verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. So he went on to Google Earth and he, you know, typed, he typed in the Tower of Babel and he couldn't see it. It was so small. And so what he had to do, he had to, he had to come down to see what these little human peons were building. I mean, that, that, that's what, they're, they're so small. And, and you realize, like church, you realize how small we are in comparison to God. Like, he's not blown away by our ingenuity. He's not blown away by our creativity. He's not blown away by our towers. He's not blown away by the governments that we create. He's just not. And then I want you to notice that God does not celebrate their development. See, if you, again, go back to Genesis 1, God celebrates his development, does he not? Day one, he says it's good. Day two, it's good. Day three, it's good. Day four, it's good. Day five, it's good. Day six, it's good. And then day seven, he looks back, he's like, it's very good. What, what they're building, he doesn't celebrate. Now, why wouldn't he celebrate it? Because it's not anchored in him. And so that's why God has a problem with what they are doing. And so he says... Behold, these people are one people. They have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Well, what does that mean? Well, one scholar put it this way. God saw the limitlessness human capacity to live according to the slave nature of sin. So he's looking at them and he's seeing the corruption of the city. And he's like, if I don't put a stop to this, God knows, only God knows what would come about this corrupt and evil city. God foresaw that they were right, that they would succeed and become great. But in succeeding and becoming great, they would succeed and become great at being a evil nation. And so what we see in Genesis 11 is the prototype of the city of man. Like you can fast forward from Genesis 11 all the way to the end of your Bible, Revelation, written thousands and thousands of years later, and you will see the city of man, Babylon. So what we have here is the prototype city of man being built. And this prototype of, of the city of man, there is a movement away from God. They are hostile to God. They nation build at others' expense. They are hostile to one another. They fear one another. They don't understand one another. They're skeptical of one another. There's disorder, chaos, and brokenness in their city. I want you to just think about what, you, what we find in our own cities and communities and nations around the world. We find evil and wicked and darkness. We find jealousy, strife, homelessness, joblessness, violence, abuse, slavery, wars, disputes, arrogance, poverty, exploitation, disappointment, struggle, frustration, sickness, disease, heartache, pain, division, chaos, greed, theft, sexual perversion, and family division. Those are all found in the cities and communities and nations all across planet Earth today. And God, I want you to hear this, God has a problem with the city of man because they have no regard for God and they're not building a city of shalom and order and of peace. Because anytime God builds something, it always has shalom at the heart. There's always a direction of peace and order, but that is not what describes the city of man and men today. 
And so God comes down, judges them, confuses their language, and now they scatter throughout the earth. And it's in this context, God will redeem a people for his namesake and his glory. So that's the when God redeems a people for his mission. In the context of the world in desperate need of God to move in a redemptive way, and God does. And so he's going to call a man by the name of Abram, which leads to my second question. What does God ask from his people to join him on mission? What does God ask from his people to join him on mission? In other words, what does it take to join God? And in answering this question, basically here's what I'm doing this morning. I am answering the question, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have faith? That's basically, if you want to know what does it mean to be a child of the king? What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be a Christian? Like, what does it mean to follow God? We see that in Genesis 12, which is why the Apostle Paul, if you read in the New Testament, he will always point back to Abraham as the poster child for faith. So, so what does it take to join God on mission? What does it take to become part of God's people? Well, here it is. You have to abandon yourself. And here's what we see just in chapter 12. Abraham is to abandon, first of all, his culture. So the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Now, you remember last week when I talked about this sequential formula, your identity, who you are, plus your function, what you do equals what you image. What, what God is asking Abraham to abandon is his identity, his country, his homeland, his family, his religion. Now, you do realize that Abraham was not a monotheistic worshiper. You say, Josh, that's a big word. In other words, he didn't worship just one God. He was a polytheistic worshiper. He worshiped many gods. What God is asking him to do in abandoning his culture is I want you to assume, I want you to assume my identity, Abraham. I want you to abandon your current identity and I want you to receive my identity. So God is target, targeting Abraham's identity, who Abraham is and who he is tied to. I want you to leave there. I want you to tie yourself to me. I want you to fully align yourself with who I am my characteristics, my attributes, and my nature. Second, Abraham is to abandon his idea of control. Go to a land that I will show you. Now, so it, it would be great. I mean, I, listen, I, I would be right there like, God, uh, that's great, but can you tell me where we're going? Like which direction we're headed? We're heading westward. That, that's actually where they are headed. They're heading westward because, again, spiritual direction is this. Eastward is moving away from God. Westward is moving towards God. So I want you to leave the east, and I want you to go west, but I'm just not going to tell you where. Third, Abraham is to abandon his idea of greatness because God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will make your name great. Now, again, this is in opposition to chapter 11. They wanted to make their name great. 
So they're going to work building the city and a tower to make their name great. But, but Abraham is going to have to ab- abandon this idea of greatness, and he's going to have to assume what God deems is great. You, you do realize that God has a different definition of greatness than we do. Like Jesus' disciples, they came to uh, James and John. Put, you know, their, their mom put them up to it. Go ask Jesus, can one of you sit on the right hand and the left hand? And so they, they would come up to Jesus, you know, away from all the other disciples, and they said, hey, Jesus, we, we want to be great. But, but our mom says uh, to ask you, can, can one of us sit on the right hand and the left hand? Like, in their mind, uh, they, wanted to, they wanted to sit and rule with Jesus. But, but Jesus says the idea of greatness of God is service. And so, again, this idea of abandonment, we have to abandon the idea of greatness. Listen, you cannot be great. I cannot be great. My significance, my weight, who I am, it is not great in in what I can do, but only in who God is and what he can do. So, So Abraham... To abandon control, greatness, culture, and then fourth, Abraham must abandon the notion of self-centeredness. So God tells Abraham, you're you're going to actually be a blessing, and you're going to live for the blessing of others, which we'll get at here in just a second. But again, direct opposition to chapter 11. They live for their own namesake. God is saying, you're going to live for my namesake and the good of others. You, you, you do realize, like, so take just religion. Because one of the arguments that somebody might make is, especially as, we, you know, as I just developed how wicked and evil cities and communities are, some would say, well, there, there's good in the city. Uh, yeah, you, you can argue there is good in the city, but what is the underlying motive for the good that people do? Let's just think about religion. Again, religion, uh, Christianity is completely different than any other religion in the world because all the other religions say that you have to work your way to God. Christianity says God worked his way to you. But let's just look at the other religions that say that you have to work your way to God. So let's say you give of your money. Uh, you care for the poor. Uh, you meet the needs of the homeless. And you're doing all of that good work so that you can work your way up to God. What is the ultimate motivation for that good work? You. You are at the center of that. So therefore, God would say, that's filthy rags. And see, we do live in a quote-unquote generous culture or a good culture that wants to do good, but the underlying motivation for our doing good is rooted in our own self-centeredness, not in our selfless-centeredness. And see, what God is asking from Abraham, it's costly. Church following Jesus is costly. But I want to point something out to you that's interesting. Verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram. Had said, past tense, what does that mean? Well, just skip up to verse 31 of chapter 11. Terah, which was Abraham's father, took his son Abram. And you say, Josh, you keep using Abram and Abraham. Like, can you help us out? Okay, yeah, yeah. Let me help you out. Abram means father. Later on, God will change his name to Abraham, which means father of many. 
So on one hand, Abram means daddy. On the other hand, Abraham means big daddy. All right? So that, they're the same person, same person. So Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, this is fascinating. So they had already left their home country. They're heading towards the land that God wants to give them, that God wants to show them. But something, we don't know what happened, but they came to Haran and they just settled there. They came to the middle. Listen, God is not calling us to leave and go to the middle. God is calling us to go all in. And I think one of the challenges that we are facing as the church today is that the church is comprised of many people that have just gone halfway. They've just, they've just abandoned their culture halfway. And so they try to be an American and they try to be a Christian. Uh, they, they try, and then they, they, they've only gone halfway when it comes to control. You, you know what, God, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some control, but don't touch my sexuality. Don't touch my marriage. I want to do what I want to do. Don't touch my money because I want to do what I want to do with my money. And so they've only gone halfway. And then when it, when it comes to the idea of greatness, we get caught up into this idea of the American dream of becoming great. No, let's, be, let's get caught up into God's dream of him becoming great through us. And then we get caught halfway in this idea of self-centeredness. And some reason and somewhere along the way, church people thought church was about them rather than about the glory of God and the good of others. And so what they wanted to do is that they wanted to create their own little spiritual country clubs so that they can worship Kumbaya Jesus any way that they want to so it can be us four and no more. And we wonder why we are irrelevant to a culture and we wonder why we're not making any progress towards the mission of God. Man, I got on a roll there. That, yeah. You like, I shouldn't have came. No, you should. We need this. Like Jesus tells his disciples, leave your nets, follow me, sell all you have, follow me. Anyone wishing to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And let me just say it also this way. You are not a Christian. I am not a Christian because I've been baptized, because I read my Bible, because I pray, because I come to church, because I'm part of a small group. That is not why I am a Christian. I am a Christian because I have tethered my identity into Jesus Christ. So when I get to heaven and they say, why should we let you in? I'm not going to give the functional answers because I went to church, because I preached, because I went to small group, because I gave my money. I'm going to give the answer because Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. He died for me. He was buried. He rose again. And I'm attaching my identity to him. Here's the principle. To live on mission, you'll need to abandon the land of me. Like if you want to become part of God's people, you've got to abandon the land of me. It's not about you. Now, does this mean that Abraham was perfect? No. <laughs> no. He lied about he lied. This is so I can't get into it, but he lied about his wife being his sister to protect himself. We're like, sucker, Lord, have me anyways. But he, he was not perfect, far from it. 
Abraham didn't have it all together, but he was all in. Hey, listen, your pastor, he doesn't have it all together. Just ask my wife after the gathering, "Does, does, does Pastor Josh have it all together? And she'd laugh at you. I don't have it all together, but I'm all in. I'm all in. And that's what God is calling his people to be, all in. So that's what, now how? How does God equip his people for mission? So that's that's what he's going to require. If you're going to join him, that's what he's going to require, abandonment. But how does God equip his people for mission? Well, he's going to promise Abraham three things. I'll, I'll make you into something. I'll bless you and I'll protect you. He promises Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation and a great name. Now, what's so fascinating at this time, Abraham is 75 years old and his wife is no spring chicken and they have no children. And so could you imagine God is telling this old man this and he's just thinking, I don't know how, but God has promised to make him into a great nation and a great people. But he knows that God has to intervene. God has to do it because they can't. They're they're physically past the age of childbearing. But next, God is not only going to make Abraham into a great nation and to make his name great, but God is going to bless him. Now, I did not develop this idea of blessing last week because I wanted to develop it here. I mean, we, we, we say this a lot. Well, I just want God to bless me. Or we pray that, you know, God would bring blessing. But what are we actually praying for when we're asking for God to bless us? Well, see, in Genesis 1, God blessed the animal kingdom and he blessed humanity. And he told both of them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But for the humans, he, he also told them to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So this idea of God blessing his creation is that he is pouring out, he is investing his power, his presence, and his purpose into his created order so that they might flourish and so that they might be and do what God has created them to be and do. And it's God's blessing that leads to shalom and peace and goodness and beauty and flourishing. Let me illustrate it. I love my grandma. My grandma, she's still kicking it at 83, 84. She's something like that. Sometimes we worry about her when she drives to Walmarts because everything adds, she adds an S to it, like Walmarts, Targets, you know. So I don't know if you have family members that do that. But growing up, I, I, loved, I loved going to my grandma's house when I was sick. Because when I would go to my grandma's house when I was sick, she would give me a bell to ring anytime I needed my grandma to come to me. And so I, I remember I would ring the bell and I'm like, grandma, I'm hungry. And it was the morning time. And she's like, baby, I'll fix you some oats. And so she would go in to the kitchen. She would fix me some oats and she would put some brown sugar. She would put the right amount of milk. And then she would do something extra for my oats. Uh, she would make some cinnamon toast and then she would, she would pull it apart and she would put it in the oatmeal and she would mix it up. You're like, that's gross. No, that is from heaven right there. I promise you, you try it tomorrow. It would be amazing. And so she would feed me, she, she would make sure that I had everything that I needed to bring myself back to health. 
My grandma was a blessing. She took her presence, she took her power, she took her provision to bless me. That's what God's doing to Abraham in the redeeming of a people is that he's like, I'm going to bless you. I'm gonna pour my presence. I'm gonna pour my provision. I'm gonna pour my power. I'm gonna pour my purpose into you so that you can be the people I am calling you to be. Now, don't, don't miss this. God's blessing is all always in conjunction with his mission. If you're not living on mission, God's really not blessing you. Sure, some good things might be coming to you, and yes, every good thing that we have is from God, but God's blessing is always in conjunction with his mission. And then last, God promises to protect. So he says, those who curse you, I will curse. Now, there's a few realities seen in this promise. The first reality is this. Abraham will face opposition in this mission. Church, you do realize that we will, if we, if we live on mission for God and what God is doing in creating and redeeming a people for himself, there will always be opposition. And if you read your Old Testament and your New Testament, many times the opposition comes from within the people. I love the grunts. Mm. Mm. Love it. I, I do that. I do that too. Mm. The second reality is this. To curse Abraham, to come after Abraham, to attack Abraham is to curse and come after and attack the one behind Abraham funding the mission. They're attacking God. And then the third reality is this. God will protect Abraham and his descendants from any curse and opposition they face. God's, God's telling Abram, I got you, bro. Got you. I'm going to make you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to protect you. That's why it would behoove our culture to watch out how they treat the church. And it would behoove the church to make sure that they are on God's mission and not theirs. Otherwise, they will find themselves working against God, not with him. Mm. Mm. I'm so glad that you love my weird sense of humor. <laughs> the, the last question is this. Why does God redeem his people for mission? Why does God redeem? So when he redeems, what he redeems, how he redeems. Now why does he redeem? To bless all families of the earth. That's what we see at the latter part of verse three. Um, re remember in Genesis, our identity is image bearers. And then the function was to relate, create, and operate. Now we, we have this idea because again, now remember Genesis 11, the city of man. Now what God is going to do in Genesis 12 with Abraham, he's going to redeem a people and he's going to create his own culture, his own civilization, his own nation to reflect his glory. And so the function in relating, creating, and operating will actually be a blessing to the world. 
Like that, that, that's why God is redeeming Abraham to be a blessing. So God's people will always have a vertical posture towards God, but they will always have a horizontal posture to and for the world. Northland Church exists for the world, and the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. And what you will see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is God on mission as he redeems a people to reflect his glory in all spheres of life as they are postured towards the nation. So Josh, what does it specifically look like to bless every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group? Well, I brought an acrostic with me that I spent all about five minutes developing this past week. And let me give it to you, this idea of bless. And what we will be doing for the remainder of our series really is unpacking this in various ways. So B stands for be holy. Church, I, I, I can't, I mean, I cannot say this more, more serious than I possibly can. We are to be distinct from the world. We are not to look like the world. We're to be in the world, but not of it. it you cannot bless the world when you look like the world. And the church has lost holiness. Man, you know, Josh, good night. Good night. That's right. This is serious stuff of what God's been doing. The L is this. Listen intently to the needs around you. Quit being so busy that you cannot listen. Listen intently to the needs around you. You cannot live for someone if you don't know them. And then entreat the Lord on behalf of others. So when you know the needs, when you know what's going on in the cities and communities that we are called to bless, then we now entreat the Lord. We pray to the Lord on their behalf. And then S is seek the peace. You say, well, that sounds familiar. It should. Because Jeremiah 29, a few weeks ago, we looked at how the exiles were to seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Again, the prototype city of man, Babel, Babylon, Genesis 11, Jeremiah, that's where they were taken to, Babylon, the wicked city of man, Revelation, Babylon, be overthrown, the wicked city of man, yes, from, uh, from beginning to end, Babylon, and we are to seek the peace of Babylon. We're to partner with them, we're to preserve life in the city, and we're to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the ultimate king, which leads to the last S, which is share the good news, inviting people into the kingdom of God. That's what we are to do. That is how we are to bless. And here's the interesting part about Abraham. Abraham would never fully realize that vision, that that mission You actually have to fast forward, and when you fast forward and you get to the Gospels, you see Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. And with Jesus, you you have the death of Christ. He, He was buried, then he rose again. And so for 40 days, guess what Jesus is doing? And we'll get to this, but Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to be part of this kingdom, this culture, this civilization that God is that God is redeeming in the midst of a wicked world. And what he's going to do with his disciples in Matthew 28, he's going to tell them, go and make disciples of what? 
All nations, all Thai ethne, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. Now, why would Jesus do that? Because, because in Genesis 11, of the peoples of the world now got scattered all over the face of planet Earth. And they have their own languages and they have their own customs. But what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection, he has purchased the redemption of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group to be grafted into the city of God. And now he sends his disciples out into all far-flung corners of planet Earth. And what are they to do? They are to bless. They are to be holy. They are to listen intently. They are to entreat the Lord. They are to seek the peace and prosperity of the cities and communities around the world. And they are to share the good news that God invites the city of man into the city of God, where there is order, where there is shalom, where there is peace, where there is beauty, where there is splendor, where all wrongs have been made right. And that is the mission. Oh, Northland, that is the mission we are on. That is why I'm so passionate. That's why I'm all in. And I know many of you, you are all in. And for those of you who are riding the fence, go ahead, quit riding that fence because it's going to hurt anyways. And go ahead and dive all in for King Jesus and what he's been doing on planet Earth since Genesis 12. Let's pray. Father, you are good. To know what you are doing in the world and what you've been doing since the call of Abraham that we get to join you on, just mind-boggling. And I just pray for Northland right now that, we'll, that you would do far more abundantly than we can ever ask, think, or imagine because we have gone all in. We have abandoned the land of me for the land of mission. Spirit, we cannot do it without you. We have to be filled by you, empowering us to do this. So Spirit, will you fall on us fresh and anew? Fill us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed for those here in the room and those engaging with us online, I feel like I've given a, a, a clear presentation of the, of the gospel where you have to abandon you, your culture, your control, your greatness, your self-centeredness. You have to abandon and you have to give your life to Jesus. And if you've never done that, I invite you to do that this morning. And you can just utter this prayer. It's not a magical incantation like some Harry Potter magic spell. No, it's the, it's the condition and posture of your heart. And you just simply say, King Jesus, you're my king. I give up control. I abandon myself. I no longer want to live for me. I want to live for you. So I give you my life. Thank you. Thank you for your death and your resurrection that actually allows me to have new life. And so I just give my life to you. I want to be part of your city. I want to be part of what you're building in the world and in the world to come. So I abandon me so I can live in your land, worshiping you, reflecting you, blessing others on behalf of you. If you prayed that, after we sing this song here in a second, we will have people up here um, in, in front of the altar. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to celebrate with you. If you're online and you've abandoned me, 
for the land of mission. If you've relinquished control, just go ahead and say, I have abandoned. Go ahead and put that in the chat. I have abandoned. And we'll have somebody follow up with you and celebrate with you. Father, may we leave different than when we came here as a result of your spirit working among us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.